A few weeks ago, I came to the conclusion that sort of my life calling, what I want it to be moving forward is to help others find joy and to find hope. You see, I think we live in a world that is lacking joy and it is lacking hope. And so whatever I can do, whatever we can do as a church to help others find joy in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their difficulties, that they can find hope when things appear to be hopeless. That's what I want to be about. And I want it to be something that we all can embrace and help others to find joy as well because the way we are wired as Christians is to experience joy. And so what I started off with, and I've been repeating this for a while, is that God created us for joy. God created you for joy. He created us for happiness, for gladness, for celebration, to have a smile on our face, to be excited about life, to be excited about the future, to have passion, to have hope. God created us for joy, and our joy blesses others. And this is a theme I've been working on for the last four years, actually, as I started the the 40-day joy challenge, and I've encouraged some of you to take that 40-day joy challenge. And Tommy Newberry says that we're created for joy and our joy blesses others. And so I thought the best thing we could do this Christmas season is talk about joy to the world because the Lord has come in the first advent and Christ brings joy and he's coming back and that should bring us joy as well. And so we were created for joy And our joy blesses others. But I thought it was best to give you a definition. And this is a working definition I've been working on for probably about 10 years now. And here's what it is. It says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of the details of my life. The settled assurance that God is sovereign, that God is control, that God isn't just up there taking a nap, but that God is in control of the details, all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every circumstance. I don't know where you're at with joy this morning. I don't know where you're at with happiness and gladness, but This is something that requires us as Christians to wrestle with because there are so many things that are fighting against it. And it's not just here in Harrisonville, it's in Florida too. My mom lives in just outside of Orlando and so I had some timeshare time that I had to use up and so I have points that we could use near Disney Springs. And if you know anything about Disney, it's supposed to be what? The happiest place on earth. And it was just sort of interesting after I had visited a few times, I had a little time to kill and I went over to Disney Springs. And it's a, it's a major sort of shopping area and restaurants and and as I was just walking around and observing people, people are so obsessed with themselves. <laughs> They're actually quite rude. I don't know how Disney got known as the happiest place on the earth because everybody looks so angry and so upset and, and so possessed. In fact, we were 
trying to find a parking spot and everybody was driving around trying to find it and it, it, it just was chaos. And all of a sudden I saw an open spot and there were three cars ahead of me and this one Toyota truck just dodged out of the lane, went and flew in, went up over the curb and stole the spot. And I'm like, what in the world? Yes, this is the happiest place on earth to die. But God wants us to have joy. And when life starts getting a little bit out of control, we need to have what I call this settled assurance, this quiet confidence, and this determined desire to worship God and to praise him. So how does joy work? Well, I believe that joy is married to hope. I was down in Florida with um, one of my friends. I went to, to seminary and college with him, and we've been friends forever. He's a pastor as well. And his mom isn't doing well. And so we were sitting around. We talk about our messages sometimes. And he said, yeah, I just, Mark, I just did a study on joy a couple of weeks ago for his Christmas series. And he said something that I realized was when I, when I was studying joy and reading writers that were talking about joy, they were saying that joy and hope go hand in hand. So when you read in Scripture about joy, you're also reading about hope. And, and so the way I'm describing it is joy is married to hope. You see, I see joy as sort of being the bride and hope being the groom. Because hope is sort of the driving force, taking the lead in producing joy. In fact, if somebody has a lot of hope and they're rich in hope and, and hope is controlling their lives, they usually have joy. And people that are lacking joy have lost all hope. In fact, uh, there, there, there's a proverb that says when hope is deferred or when hope has become hopeless, it actually makes the heart sick. But when there is hope and there is confidence and there is assurance that God is doing something, there will be joy. And so as you think about this Christmas season and you think about the new year, the question we need to all wrestle with is maybe not how is our joy, but how is our hope? And do we have hope for the future? And is our hope in the Lord? Here's a great verse. It's found in Romans 15. And some of you talk about this. Whoops. Romans 15, 13. Notice this verse. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. It's interesting, these are some of the themes of Advent. you got joy and peace and hope. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We love these verses, just like we, we love Jeremiah 29, 11, or Philippians 4, 13. But we need to understand, what is the context for a verse like this? And if you have your Bibles or if you're able to pull it up on your phone, I would encourage you just briefly to look at Romans 15. We're going to look at another one of Paul's verses in just a little while. But, but Romans 15, and 
where does this benediction or where does this prayer come from that, that God, the God of hope, will fill us with joy? Well, it's very interesting. In, in Romans 15, he's, he's talking about Christ and the example. And in Romans 15, 4, he says, For whatever was written was written in the former days, was written for our instruction. Notice what he says, that through endurance and through the encouragements of Scripture, we might have hope. So if you want joy, which is based upon hope, you need to be in the Scriptures. And what's very interesting, when Paul wrote this, he's talking about the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of Christ and to the kingdom of Christ. Like I said, joy to the world was not sort of written as a Christmas song. It was looking forward to the advent and the coming of Christ the King. But notice this in verse 5. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ." has welcomed you, or accept one another as Christ has accepted you. And then he says, and there's a title in front of verse 8, it says, Christ, the hope of Jews and Gentiles. And you read this, and he's quoting Isaiah, and he's talking about how the the Gentiles, those who were on the outside looking in, they were going to rejoice and they were going to praise God. And then it gets... Right before he says what Isaiah says in verse 12, he says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles put their hope. Where is your hope today? Is your hope in a person, in a circumstance? Is it in money or possessions or in your own, maybe own happiness without the Lord? You see, joy is married to hope. And our hope is in the Lord, and the Lord is a God of hope. And the more hope we have, the more joy we have. And the more the Holy Spirit will take over and fill us with even more hope to trust him. Here's the second truth I want us to see here in this repeat the sounding joy. But hope is married to Advent. Now, sometimes we get a little confused and, and we wonder sometimes, well, what is Advent about and what are we celebrating? It was sort of interesting and, and uh, we didn't talk about the songs before this morning very much, but we sang two different types of songs. We sang what we considered Christmas songs and then we sang the Revelation song, which is looking forward to the second, the second Advent. So you have Christ coming and you have Christ which is to come. You see, our hope, now if we move hope over, and hope is the bride, now the groom is Advent. And and Advent is leading the charge of hope and joy. We do an Advent wreath here, and we didn't emphasize it this year, but if you go around the Advent wreath, there are different elements to it. But there there is hope, there is joy, there is peace, and there is love. Advent, the coming of Christ, brings all of these elements into our lives. 
I haven't met a person, whether you're a believer in Christ or not a believer in Christ, who doesn't want more hope, doesn't want more peace, doesn't want more joy, doesn't want more love in their lives. And it's all tied to the coming of Christ. And it was spoken about in the prophets. Hope is married to Advent. And what we're going to see is it's not just tied to the first Advent, it's tied to the second Advent. That Christ is coming back to restore all things. That's why we went through this, this hymn, which again is a Christmas hymn, but it's not a Christmas hymn. It's looking forward to the second coming from Psalm 98. Joy to the world. It was interesting when I was at Disney Springs, and if you've ever been to Disney Springs in the shopping center, there, there's a place out there for different groups to perform, and there was a band. And it was interesting, they, they did a, a variation of Joy to the World, and it was entitled, Let Heaven and Nature Sing, and I was just sort of very interested in it, and so I was like, what are they going to say about Let Heaven and Nature Sing? Because I just spoke on that last Sunday, and it was very interesting, he was like, you know, this is great that we, we, we live in an international place like here in Disney and there's so many different people from all over the world. Let us have joy. I was like, okay. And they went on, they played the piece. And well, why is heaven and nature singing? Well, we're singing because a Savior has been born who forgives us of our sins and, and grants us life and eternal life and the joy of knowing that we have a future and that we have a hope. Here's a verse that everybody should consider during this season is Matthew 2. And I would encourage you to go back and especially Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. I would encourage you over this Christmas season to be reading both of those chapters. And I would encourage you to circle hope. And I would encourage you to circle joy as you read through this. But it's interesting. It's, it's talking about the wise men. And it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why is that? Well, because their hope and their joy is tied to Advent. You see, they had been waiting for the promised Messiah who was going to restore all things and make all things new. And so when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Why? Because they understood that joy is married to hope, and hope is married to the advent, the coming of the king. I was listening to a commentator talk about Luke chapter 2, which we looked at last week when the shepherds are there and the angels are singing and saying, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people especially those who consider them on the outside looking in like the shepherds. But I don't know if you remember, it says that the, the star shone brightly. And, and some people think that when Christ came, it was his Shekinah glory. His brightness, his light was shining so bright that it actually wasn't a star, but it was just the Shekinah glory. You see, when we are focused on the Shekinah glory, when we are focused on the kingdom that is to come, when we focus on what heaven is going to be like, everything else seems to dim. Everything seems to be not quite so important. Everything seems not to rob us of the joy that is ours 
in Christ Jesus. We need to be repeating the sound in joy. As I was preparing for today, here are the two truths that I struggle with. What I came to realize is that joy is a command. We are commanded actually to rejoice. So to be joyful is a decision we all make. But it is also a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're familiar with the the fruit of the Spirit, there is love, and then right away there is joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and and self-control, and it flows out of the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit working in our lives, and we read Romans 15, 13, where the Holy Spirit allows us also to abound in hope. It's something supernaturally that sometimes we can't produce in ourselves, but yet at the same time, we're called to rejoice. I want us just to spend some moments in the book of Philippians. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we want to spend the rest of our time looking at this verse. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians was written by Paul actually when he was in prison for proclaiming Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul would have been basically a contemporary of Jesus Christ. They probably were born about the same time. Obviously, Christ passed away on the cross and rose again. Paul continued on, and his journey was a little bit different than Christ's journey. He was actually persecuting Christians. He was killing Christians. And he was trying to stop the message of Jesus Christ. But Paul met... Just sort of like the star, Paul met Christ on the Damascus Road, and the light shone, and his life was forever changed. And he went forward, and now he became an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And he went on proclaiming the joy of the Lord and what it means to experience the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins and the love of God and to know what it means to have peace. And for that, he was thrown into prison. And so he wrote different letters to different congregations while he was in prison. Philippians is probably one, though, that was a very interesting situation because he actually feared that he was going to die in prison. He didn't know what was going to happen next. And he was a little bit probably scared about his future. But the church in Philippi, they also had a problem. They had two main issues. One, they couldn't get along. The people in the church were fighting, and they were disagreeing. And probably the thing that they were disagreeing about the most was the fact that false teachers had come in, and false teachers were teaching that Christianity is really similar to Judaism. It's about what you do. It's about your works. It's about your behavior. You have to sort of earn God's love. You have to earn God's favor. And obviously, Paul was teaching a radically different message that salvation is by faith alone, by Christ alone, by grace alone, by putting your faith in Christ in the finished work. And so there was tension in the church in Philippi. And what I find is many of us probably are in very 
similar circumstances, maybe not like Paul, but some of us feel like we're stuck in prison, or some of us feel like our circumstances are way beyond our control, or all we can sort of see is despair and disappointment and discouragement, and, and now we have to come and listen to pastors say, hey, have joy. And one of the things I realized when I've studied Philippians multiple times is that one of the things that Paul wants to highlight in the book of Philippians is not just the theme of joy, despite our circumstances, he wants to highlight the fact that our joy is in the Lord. Over 42 times in 104 sentences, Paul mentions the Lord. If you want joy this morning, if you want hope this morning, it's based upon a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ came to have a relationship with each one of us. The reason he went to the cross and the reason he rose again from the dead was so that our sins could be forgiven, but so that we could have also a relationship with him and intimacy, and fellowship, and we could walk with him and talk with him and find encouragement from him. So notice in Philippians 4.4, it says this, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I sort of was trying to figure out, why did Isaac Watts say, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy? I think the, the reason is, is because when Christ comes back at his second advent, there's going to be unending joy. But for us as Christians, as we wait for the second return of Christ, we have experienced the first advent, and we should have joy, and we should be repeating the sounding joy, and we should be setting the stage for what is yet to come, unending joy. I think that's why Jesus Christ said, I write these things so that, or I'm telling you these things, these commands, so that your joy may be full or your joy may be complete. It's because Christ understood that for us to have a complete and perfect joy, it's tied to our relationship with Jesus Christ. But in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. The obvious interpretation of this is that our rejoicing, first and foremost, is a command. We are commanded to rejoice, not just twice, but four times in the book of Philippians. But the obvious interpretation that our rejoicing is in the Lord. And I have to admit, too many times I, I, I put my money on my circumstances. And just if this circumstance will change, or maybe if I can manipulate the circumstance, then, then I will have joy. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's not trying to manipulate himself out of prison. I'm sure he wanted to get out of prison. He was waiting to be on trial, to actually to be crucified. And we know that he eventually is crucified in Rome, and he dies. I think he dies upside down on the cross because he doesn't want to suffer the same way Christ suffered. But he's telling the Philippian church, you need to rejoice in the Lord because 
The Lord is the only thing that is sure. The Lord is the only thing that is secure. The Lord is the only thing that will never, ever disappoint us. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's very interesting. Paul does this a couple of times. Notice in Philippians 1, 18. 1, 18. He's talking about the advancement of the gospel. And it's sort of interesting. He's, he's like, some of his followers are saying, hey, there's other people out there proclaiming Christ, and what should we do about that? And they're having success, but uh, we don't know if we can trust them. And he's like, I'm just going to rejoice that Christ is being preached. So in verse 18, he says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is being proclaimed. And notice what he says, and in that I rejoice. Notice what he says, he says, yes, I will rejoice even though i'm in prison even though it's not working out for me i'm going to rejoice that for others who are sharing the gospel it's going forward and i'm going to rejoice and again i'm going to rejoice it's very interesting look at philippians 2 18 and 17 and 18 and it's just very interesting in philippians 2 now he's he's talking about the fact that he's probably going to die. And he's talking about the problems that the church is having in, in, in Philippi. And he says in verse 14, he says, do all things without grumbling or questioning, which I think is a good way to, to kill joy in your life as you grumble and you complain. But he's saying do everything without grumbling or, or questioning so that you will be blameless. And innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. But notice verse 17 he says, Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon a sacrificial offering of your faith. He's like, if it costs me my life to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. He says, I'm a glad and I rejoice with you all. But then verse 18 puts the hammer in on it, and he says, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying it in a variety of ways. He's saying, I rejoice and I will rejoice again. He's saying, I rejoice and I command you to rejoice. And then in Philippians 4.4, he's saying, you should rejoice and you should rejoice again. We need to be repeating the sounding joy. Philippians 4, if you just look at it, it's quite interesting. It's built upon the ending of chapter 3, which says our citizenship is in heaven, the hope of what is to come. But then, in Philippians 4, 2 and 3, again, there is, there's dissension, there's fighting, there's disagreement between a couple of women in the church and... Notice what he says. He says, help these ladies to, to get along. I've labored side by side with them in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And, and as I was reading that, I, I was reminded of when the apostles were out and they were doing signs and wonders. And they came back and they were so excited and they were filled with joy. And do you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, 
Don't be so excited. Don't rejoice that you can do all these miracles, but rejoice that your name is in the book of life. And then after he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, he says something I think is very profound. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I was reading one of these commentaries of one of my professors who's long gone and has gone to be with the Lord. And this commentary was probably written in the 1960s. And he was talking about this passage and he was talking about this, let your kindness, let your gentleness, and literally the word is let your moderation or let your self-control be evident to all. You see, you were created for joy, but your joy blesses others. You see, our joy should have an impact. We shouldn't be self-centered. And so he goes on, and again, in the 1960s, he says the thing that is going to kill the church and is killing Christians is that we're selfish. We're coming to church for ourselves. We're viewing our relationship with God for ourselves. We're wanting God to bless ourselves. And, and that's sort of what I experienced last week when I was down around Disneyland and D- Disney Springs is that everybody is out for themselves, out for number one. And I think what Paul is saying is your joy should impact how you impact others. And so however you want to read that, whether you want to read that, let your reasonableness, let your kindness, let your gentleness, let your self-control. And what this commentator went on to say is is when you are focused in on yourself, it becomes self-love. And that is exactly the opposite of God's love because God's love focuses in on others. And then only if we want to repeat the sounding joy, we need to realize that our joy does bless others and the way we live towards others and are we gentle and are we kind? And do we know how to manage ourselves? He says the reason we should let this reasonableness reasonableness be known to everyone, is that the Lord is at hand. Now, I don't know about you, when I first read that, I, I, I say, you know, that means that the Lord is present, and the Lord is, is nearby, and the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me, so I should have joy. But again, I think he's focusing in on the hope that we've been talking about. The Lord is near also means the Lord is about ready to return. And since the Lord is about ready to return, it should cause us to have joy. And while I was gone, I, I, I barely could watch the news because I didn't have time. But one time I was just like, oh, I just want to see what's happening. <laughs> that was sort of a mistake. But again, it, it reminds me, my hope is not in the United States. My hope is not in our government. Now, don't get me wrong. We want, to, we want to have a great United States. We want to have a great government. And we want to have great leadership from our president. We want to have a lot of those greatness. Don't get me wrong. But we as Christians, we set our hope and our joy on the fact that the Lord is near. In fact, 
the fact that times are troubling now should actually encourage us that the Lord is actually closer to his return. You see, this command to rejoice is built on other commands that Paul wanted us to understand that, that joy is a perspective on life, but it is also, again, it's a choice. And it's a choice we must make. So what is Paul trying to get at? Well, I think he's trying to say this. He's saying we are to rejoice in the Lord and repeat the sounding joy even in difficulties, in disappointments, in danger, in the face of death, in distractions, in disagreements. We need to come around the rallying cry that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. And not only did he come over 2,000 years ago, he's coming back again to establish his kingdom. And that's sort of where joy to the world is based upon. It's based upon Psalm 98, and as Isaac Watts looked at the coming Lord, he said, let everybody burst forth, make a joyful noise. Let us joyfully sing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this Christmas, whether you're a believer or not a believer, I'm sure you want to have hope and joy in your life. My prayer is that you will understand it's based upon a relationship with Jesus Christ who loves you, who died for you, who sets you free, who empowers you to have joy. But he's coming back. And he's coming back very soon to establish his kingdom and his rule forever and ever. Amen.